front of you guys today to be able to share the word, um, to be able to talk about faith, because that's what we're going to be talking about. And some of the stories that we've shared already have just been so powerful in speaking about faith, kind of um, what that means. The testimony earlier was just magnificent to me. Um, and so we're going to be talking about faith in action. Um, not too long ago, Pastor Stephen asked me if I had a message for the church, and I told him I always have something to say. <laughs> so, you know, I'm going to try to keep track of time to make sure that I don't um, just speak forever. But, you know, one things that I was, have been thinking about is just how do we react when our faith is tested? Um, what happens when trials and tribulations come? And how does our faith inform what we do? This has been something that's been on my heart that I've been pondering. Um, and, and, and so that's what this is about, faith in action, just doing the word of God in our daily lives and in the midst of trials and tribulations. And, and what I really wanted to do today was just kind of like deep dive into James chapter 1 um, and kind of what that means. So um, there are a lot of points in this chapter, but I'm kind of going through two major themes that, that kind, of, um, kind of impacted me, and that's what we'll talk about today. One, faith in action in the midst of trials and tribulations that we must lean on and depend on God. And the second point is... Um, with this faith in action theme is just putting our faith in action means not only knowing the word, um, but being doers of the word. And so, um, you know, we're going to get started. We're going to first, I just want to read the chapter, um, and then we'll go back through groups of verses and try to explain it and see what, and see what we have today. But before we start on the chapter itself, I just want to just do a, a quick background about the book of James. It's considered the earliest epistle um, written um, in 40 A.D., by the half-brother of Jesus, James the Just. I just love that name. Um, and James doesn't necessarily follow Jesus during his life. Um, and John uh, chapter 7, verse 5 says, for not even his brothers believed in him. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm sure if my brother began to tell me that he was the Christ, I probably wouldn't believe it either until after he was resurrected and I saw it, right? Um, that's just the way it goes. Um, and the book of James was written, during, um, was written to, the, to the Jews during a time of great unrest, um, great persecution. When you look at James 1.1, 1, 1, um, you, know, you can see that James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. So this is referring to um, the twelve tribes of Israel who were scattered, who were dispersed. Um, they were scattered. They were from the Assyrians. They were held in captivity at certain points by the Babylonians. Now, there were some people that were traveled, but they faced great persecution. And when you look at the accounts of James, um, you know, it pretty much says that he was martyred in a pretty violent way. Um, you know, there were scribes and Pharisees, basically a mob, threw him from the top of the temple, and he survived. Um, and he was bloody, kind of crawling back toward the temple. And they attacked him with clubs and crushed his head with a hammer. So, you know, as we read these chapters, and, well, first, this is kind of like the world that this book is set in, right? This is the, the amount of persecution that was there. So as we read, um, you know, let's just keep track of those, those points that, you know, how do we put our faith in action in the midst of trials, in the midst of tribulations? You know, we've got to lean and depend on God. And then as we put our faith in action, not only being hearers of the word, right, not only knowing the word, but being doers. So... Um, starting in James 1.1, and I'm reading out of the um, English Standard Version, the ESV, um, so it might be just a tad different than what's on the screen. But James, 
a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes in the dispersion greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. When desire, when it has conceived, gives birth, to, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be kind of first fruits of his creatures. So knowing this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the word, from the world. So um, it's, pretty, it's pretty heavy stuff. Um, and it's a pretty deep chapter, and we're, we're going to kind of go through this. So starting in James, um, verses 2 through 4. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so the first part is, you know, it, it talks about, of course, count it all joy, but um, when do you meet trials of various kinds, right? And so um, it says when you meet trials, it means that trials will come. It's not a statement of if, it's not a statement of maybe. But it's a statement of when. It's a statement of fact. Um, and when you think about what kinds of trials, all kinds of trials, various kinds, right? So trials in our relationships, between spouses and friends, brothers, sisters, etc. Trials in our greater community. Remember, this was written to the dispersed Jewish church. Um, they were used to persecution in their greater community. They knew that, that this would come. The, this, the writer of this book was killed for his faith, right? Um, and so when we think about this in our context, right, this could be of course, trials between us, trials between people that we know. But sometimes there are trials that are in our larger community that affect us, right? Maybe a, a trial that happens in Baltimore or Minnesota 
right? What happens when these trials come? How do we respond? So moving along in, in, in the next part, testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so our, our faith is tested in trials, right? Faith isn't produced in trials. But when trials are received in faith, right, a faith um, that is already there because we have meditated on the word, um, because we have it stored in our hearts, it's there already. When that faith is tested, it produces steadfastness, right? And some versions say patience. Some, some versions say endur- endurance. And so, you know, when you look at um, Matthew 24, Jesus speaking to the disciples about the end times, and about how there will be great persecution that will occur, how people will betray one another, false prophets leading many away, and how the love of many will grow cold. He says this, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Right? The one who is steadfast to the end will be saved. The one who um, you know, has that patience to the end in the midst of the adversity will be saved. Right? Um, but we know that the testing of our faith doesn't have to produce steadfastness, right? And, and I believe that's why when James opens this part, he, he said to count it as, as joy, right? And that's kind of should be our response to the trial. Not that we're always going to be happy within trials, but that should be a mindset that we must believe as trials come. And, and that, the only way that we can have that is that we must know the word of God and have faith so that when that faith is tested, it produces that steadfastness. It produces that patience. It produces that endurance. I believe that trials without that, right, that without that mindset that's empowered by faith can just as easily produce anger, can just as easily produce bitterness. And that's something that we're going to revisit a little bit later in this chapter. So it's being perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's not that perfection is going to be realized until Christ returns, but that trials should lead to transformation in Christ, ultimately. Um, it should show that we are tested, approved, and fit before God. And so that's how we put our faith into action. In the midst of trials, in the midst of tribulations, we must lean on, we must depend on God. And so in order to put your faith in action, to be steadfast in the in the midst of trials, what must you have? Right? Got to have faith. That faith has to be there beforehand. Going through James chapter 5, verses 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So again, faith in action. In the midst of trials and tribulations, we must lean on and depend on God. And trials show our need for divine guidance and strength, right? The appropriate response in the midst of a trial is to go to God for prayer and discernment, for wisdom and discernment, excuse me. You know, and, and so just some questions to ask yourself, is that our response in the midst of a trial? Are we going to God? Are we putting our faith in action in that way? Is that your response in the midst of a trial? Are you going to God? God gives wisdom and guidance graciously and without reproach or rebuke for our requests. So believers who lack wisdom, right, wisdom in trials, which is all of us, we all, we all are going to lack wisdom, 
should not hesitate to come to God and ask for wisdom because he gives that. Verse 6, but let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And so I want to just elaborate on this point a little bit um, about being double-minded for a second and kind of what this means to doubt, because I think it's, I think it's important to kind of have the, the right understanding of this. So I was just doing some research. I found a commentary from a theologian out of the Presbyterian Church, um, a guy named Albert Barnes, and he says this, speaking about a double-minded person and what that means. It means that properly one who has two souls than one who is wavering or inconsistent. It is applicable to a man who has no settled principles, who is controlled by passion, who is influenced by popular feeling, who is now inclined to one opinion or course of conduct and now another. So it's having like one soul directed towards God, one towards the world. Um, it's not just the regular doubt. And, and I want to go to a story in Mark where there's this man that brings his son to Jesus because his son has a spirit that makes him mute. Um, and it seizes his son and he begins to have seizures. So the man asked the disciple, his disciples to cast um, the spirit out and they weren't able to. And so this, the verses that I have, verses 21 through 24, pick up where this man kind of comes to, to Jesus and, and says this, um, starting in verse 21. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can... All things are possible to the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And so after this, Jesus casts out the spirit. Um, and when the disciples asked why they couldn't, Jesus told them that only prayer could have driven out the spirit. Um, but I want to focus on that statement that he made, I believe, help my unbelief. Because this is the, the kind of spirit that we should have, right? If we're putting our faith into action, if we have faith in times of doubt, I believe, help my unbelief. So this man immediately acknowledges his faith, right? Because he went and asked Jesus. He went and found him, even after the disciples couldn't cast the spirit out. So he has faith, but he still went and appealed to God in the midst of his spiritual weakness. And this is a story of a man whose child has had this sickness, this illness his whole life. I mean, how hard must that be? Um, but he still had faith. And when he put his faith into action and came to Jesus, even in the midst of this trial, and appealed to God to help his unbelief, what did, how did Jesus respond? He cast, he cast the spirit out. His faith was put into action and was... Um, responded to. And I believe, again, that that's how we can put our faith into action, right? Even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of unbelief, I believe, help my unbelief. So going um, back to James uh, in chapter 9, this next verse, kind of after the doubt, talks about different subgroups and how we can boast in the Lord and um, I think it's important to remember again that this was written to the 12 tribes of, of Israel and 
you know, some of the divide between believers during this time was between rich and poor. Um, but of course, in our context, we have a lot more than just rich and poor. We have black, we have white, um, all different matters of ethnic groups, Asian, whatever you want to say, right? Um, and so we're going to just kind of read this just kind of with that background in our mind. So verses 9 through 11. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade in the midst of his pursuits. So this part starts with um, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, right? So, um, you know, this is talking about people that might be, have lower status. Maybe they have less economically, whatever. Um, some people in today's language might use the word they have less privilege, however you want to define this, right? And, and what should they do, right? They should boast in their exaltation because of their high status in Christ, right? Because um, ultimately, no matter how you view your status, we are children of the most high God. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And despite what circumstances might tell you or trials um, that have to be endured, endured, our focus must be on, the, um, on God, on the exalted Christ and not just on the world. And so this is what must be known in order to put our, our faith into action and act on it, right? That ultimately we are children of the most high God, no matter what we're going through we can always look to him. And so instead of sometimes focusing on God, we, we kind of focus on our circumstances, focus on what we perceive as being fair or unfair or just or unjust or whatever terms you want to say. You know, look at this person who got this promotion that they didn't deserve. I should have gotten it. This is so unfair. God, why have you forsaken me? Right? Sometimes we think that way. Or look at the things that you've allowed this person to accumulate um, that because of my station in life or because whatever reason, I haven't been able to get. You know, and I, I think sometimes we're just more concerned with trinkets and things than we are on boasting in the risen God who has justified us, who has sanctified us, who has allowed people with enmity in their hearts, right, hostility towards God, with hatred towards God, to still have a relationship with him. He's allowed us to be ministers of reconciliation. You know, kind of like Andrew was preaching last week, um, sometimes we forget who we are. We end up majoring in things that are minor, and we minor in things that are major. But we have to be people that put our faith into action. And in the midst of trials and tribulations, when we realize that our eyes are drifting from God, we've got to lean and depend on him. Verse 10, and the rich in his humiliation, kind of still going with this part of um, boasting, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also the rich man will fade away in the midst of this pursuit. All right, so the rich people at this time, what, people that have means, maybe some wealth, what does, what does the Bible say to do? That they should boast in being humble. Right, because it, no it makes no sense to have faith in stuff, right? Um, wealth is temporary. Um, 
things that you acquire during this life are compared to a flower, a plant that is beautiful for a season, but after a short time it withers and dies. And sometimes we spend our whole life working toward accumulating stuff, stuff that will ultimately do what? Just wither and pass. We get envious, we fight against people, we forsake what we know in the pursuit of having things, um, and in the process, forget who we are in Christ. And rich people go through trials and tribulations as well, right? So I saw a statistic, and if you make over $33,000 in America, right, as a household, that you are a part of the 1% of the world's population of wealth. So most of us in this room are a part of the 1%. So we have 1% problems, right? If we're not a part of the 1%, we're probably part of the 2%. But I know that we still go through trials in America. So putting your faith in things isn't going to sustain you. Only faith in God, faith that we put into action by having a dependency on him, will. Not to believe that. So immediately after these verses um, about the rich and the poor, James kind of informs us of who is blessed. Starting looking at verse 12, blessed, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for he has stood the test. He will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Right? And so blessed is the man that puts his faith into action um, to, in God in the midst of trials and tribulations. And this is James just reiterating the points that he made earlier in verses 2 through 4. Um, but he puts this explanation right after talking about things that's going to fade away. And so this, you know, immediately follows actions that, that we can take, right? How can we put our faith into action? Boasting in the Lord um, and who he is, right? Being humble before the Lord, even in our perceived affluence or whatever we have. Um, and this leads to conditions that allow us to be best um, as we are steadfast under, in, in trials and tribulations, um, which means receiving the crown of life because we know God. And even as our faith is tested, right, in the midst of trials and tribulations and adversity, um, we can be confident that we have a, a growing endurance, a growing, in a growing steadfastness. But in order to do that, again, we've got to put our faith into action and lean on God in the midst of trials, in the midst of tribulations. Verses 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. When desire that what, what, then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death, all right? So it says, let no one say he is tempted, right? Um, or they're being tempted by God. For, for It's not from God where that comes from. Um, and, and there are instances in the Bible that God allows trials to come. However, temptation doesn't come from God. Sometimes we have the tendency to do the wrong thing and blame God for it. And, you know, I'm a... I'm a new father, and I have another one on the way, and I know that we have a lot of kids. We have this baby dedication today, and so the Bible uses this imagery of birthing a child, right, and, and kind of rearing it uh, from conception to adulthood, and, you know, children start small. You think about conceiving a child, it's a, you know, sperm and an egg, um, 
but we take care of our sin, right? Use this imagery. We take care of our sin and we nourish it. Um, we feed it. Instead of turning away from our sin and starving it, um, we get comfortable with it. We allow it to grow, get a couple growth spurts, until our sin has fully matured, bringing forth death. And, and just like a child that you see every day, many times they just grow without us even realizing how big they've gotten. And that's often how our sin is, right? Um, we don't often realize just how far away from God until, that we are until uh, it's, we're, we're just far down that road. So it's important to have faith in God, a faith that can be put into action in the midst of trials and tribulations, um, that keeps us from relying on our own strength um, and falling into sin. Amen? So we're going to keep going. Still trying to keep track of time, make sure I don't go too long. But James uh, 16 through 18 says this, Do not be deceived, my brothers, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we may be first fruits of his creatures. Right? So the first thing it says is, you know, do not be deceived, because every good gift comes from where? Comes from God. Right? Um, and even as we face trials and tribulations and we're tempted by things, we've got to remember that every good thing still comes from God. And what kind of God is it? A God that there is no variation or shadow due to change. Right? So our sovereign God is the same as he was before our trials start. He's the same as he always was during our trials. He's going to be the same when our trials are over. And so we can put our faith in God because he is consistent. He's who he always has been, right? He brought us forth through the word of truth, right? He allowed us to be born again um, because of the gospel. And God is faithful, right? We can put our faith in him, um, and we can put our faith into action, uh, an actionable faith, and it will sustain us in times of trial, right? We think about those songs that we, we, we talked about earlier, where you deserve it. Well, he deserves our faith. Um, but putting our faith in action isn't only about sustaining us in trials, kind of like what I was saying. Um, what we believe should also come out in the things that we do. And that kind of brings us kind of like the second thing that I was talking about. Putting our faith in action not only means knowing the word, but being doers of the word. So verses 19 Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Right? So that, that part kind of got me a little bit reading it. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And so this is just wisdom that's a tendency um, to go against our hasty speech, our lack of restraint and selfish anger, right? And oftentimes we reverse this paradigm. We're slow to hear, quick to speak, and quick to anger, you know, <laughs> only feigning, pretending that we're really engaging when we're really only thinking about what we're going to say next. Not going to 
belabor that point too long. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, right? And so this is talking about self-reliant anger, right? Even, even anger that is directed at real wrongdoing does not produce righteousness. It almost always defends our own agenda. And so we have to be careful with anger. And there are always going to be things to get angry about. Things in our society, things at home, our workplace, our church. But our response has to be emulating God in accordance to his word and his righteousness. Otherwise, it's counted as filth. We can't be doers of the word if we're not emulating God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Right? So the anger of man is counted as filth, as rampant wickedness. And so sometimes we look at our anger and we're, you know, we're satisfied with it. It feels good to us. But to God, it's, it's trash. It's really worse than trash. It's filth. Um, and so in place of our filthy behavior, what do we do? We should receive the implanted word, which is able to save. Right? And so putting our faith into action, being doers of the word demands that we not only know um, the word, but that we also do the word and we examine our character, right? We've got to examine who we are. We've got to examine what we do. Um, so, leave that alone. Um, verses 22 through 25, and we're going to be wrapping up not too long. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Right? So, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Right? So the word of God should move us to action. Right, it should change what we do. The, the claims are too big, they're too all-encompassing to not have an impact. You know, and if it doesn't, you really have to examine yourself. Um, you know, faith in action, um, putting our faith in action not only means knowing the word but being doers. We have to have people that put we have to be people that put our faith into action. And as we act on our faith, we can be confident that we know who we are and that we're not deceiving ourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of a word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. Right? So mirrors in, in 40 AD aren't prevalent like they, were, like they are now. And so when a person had a chance to look at their reflection, you know, if they saw something, they had to do something about it. They didn't just have time to look and admire um, admire themselves like we can today, right? Um, so a person who was able to see a mirror and immediately forgets what they see, they had no purpose in even seeing themselves in the mirror in the first place, right? And so being, putting our faith into action um, and being doers of the word, the purpose of our faith is to move us to not only have it, but to do something as well. And again, it should move us to do something different. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing, right? So the law of liberty, being liberated, being free, that comes from the gospel, which has broken every chain, right? Every chain of bondage. And so receiving the gospel and acting on it, you will be blessed in doing that. 
right? We think about the testimonies this morning, how, how you know, um, people were saved and the blessing that came. But it was also from the person that actually acted on that that was blessed as well. Verses 26 through 27. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this, person relig- this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So if anyone who is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Um, so that part does not bridle his tongue or deceives his heart, right? That's talking about somebody that doesn't control what they say. They don't control how they communicate. And at this time, everything was controlled by speech, right? We, we didn't have email and text messages and Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn. So for us, right, how can we examine our network of conversations, right? The totality of the messages that we say. It's not enough just to say the right things and then do something else in some other medium. And and we really have to just examine, how does this testify to my faith? How does it testify to what we believe? Jesus, speaking to the Pharisees in Matthew 12, 34, says this, You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so the totality of your communications gives insight into what you believe or what you don't believe. It gives insight into your faith. And we often act in or in our lack of faith. I'm almost wrapping it up. Religion, verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. So religion that is pure and undefiled works to meet the needs of people. And orphans and widows are an example that has been used lots of times within the Old Testament, um, even in the New Testament, um, because in this time and in this culture, they were particularly helpless. Now, orphans still are widows. You know, you can also look in Titus. There were some changes there. But, um, you know, the, the point is that it works to meet the needs of people, right? And so these needs aren't only just physical, but they're spiritual as well. And so what is our role as people of God, as ministers of reconciliation, right? How do we fit in with that bigger picture? How do you fit in with that bigger picture? How can you act on your faith? How can you be a doer of the word? Right? And to keep oneself unstained from the world. This doesn't mean that we should hide in a ball and retreat to just a place of safety and security because we are in the world but not of it. But how can we meet the needs of people if we just bury our heads in the sand, right? If we don't know what's happening. So instead, I believe that we are to engage with the world, with the world and being steadfast even in the midst of trials, and having that faith, God will sustain us and help us be doers of the word. And so, you know, as we kind of close, I just believe that um, it's just important for us to put our faith into action. That in the midst of trials and tribulations, our faith will sustain us. We go to God with that. But it's not only for us just to, to, to overcome trials and to keep it to ourselves. That we have to be doers of the word. We put our faith into action. Um, and that as we do that, there's a blessing that comes upon us with that. There's a blessing that comes upon everyone with that, right? Amen? So, that's what I have. Thank you. All right.
Thank you, Brandon. <laughs> trying to keep it. Under. It's hot outside, so it's better to be inside, right? I know the kids might be a little anxious. I never had my son come down the aisle as if to give me a look like, Dad, it's, it's time. Yes. Uh, they have shot me looks before, but anyway. But, you know, I think there's a lot that's in James chapter 1. There's a lot that's in the whole book of James. And I would encourage you to go back and study it because, I mean, even just one or two of those verses you could stay and study for a while. But, you know, I think there's, there's a contrasting of, of two themes there. Not necessarily contrasting, but there's a complementary part of two themes of we know God. We know God's ways a lot of times in our head. You know, you can say, hey, I'm religious. I believe. I'm Protestant. I'm Catholic. I'm, I'm this. I'm that. Whatever it may be. But there's a step of, of action that is required for all of us. And at the, at the most basic, simple level of faith, it is believing. And we can know, hey, Jesus came to earth. God has a wonderful plan for my life. Jesus came to earth in order to, to take away sin so I can have a relationship with him. But if you've never taken that step of faith, if you've never said, hey, I'm going to believe, I'm going to put my faith and trust, then you're not really in relationship with God and you just know him as an acquaintance. You don't really know him personally. And so God always invites us into that relationship. And so I encourage you that if you've never taken that step to say, hey, I want to be in relationship, intimate, personal relationship with Jesus, it's simple. It's just saying, God, here I am. I want to start following. I choose to believe. And it's not just the words. It's then you begin to take that step. You begin to, to get into your Bible and, and begin to read and understand God in, in more ways. You begin to pray. You begin to serve. There's, there's a greater calling. I think Felicia was kind of talking about that. Now he's running for Jesus. He's, I hadn't even given the invitation yet, and he's coming up, right? <laughs> It's funny because this morning when I was praying, I kept hearing faith like a child. We've got to have faith like a child. And it's, it's putting it into action if you think about it. But my encouragement is if you haven't received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I encourage you to do that. Um, and if you want to talk more about that, then, then come and talk to me afterwards. What does that look like? Faith is just simply believing. We don't have to go through a bunch of hoops and we don't have to do a bunch of things in order to come into relationship with Jesus. He says, I love you, receive my love, and begin to walk with me, which is such a beautiful, beautiful thing. If you've already done that, like a lot of us in this room have, then there's the next step of continuing to put faith in action, and that's by loving others, loving God, being, being um, one who loves enemies, prays for those who aren't like us, putting, putting that faith in being, as Brandon was saying, ministers of reconciliation. And so that's my prayer. So let me just pray as we close. Let's just bow our heads and close our eyes. Lord, thank you so much for this time that we can just worship you this morning from song to, to a, a child dedication, to fellowship, to announcements, to hearing your word. Lord, we thank you for this, this time of worship. We thank you for your presence being here. And Lord, we thank you that you're moving in our midst. And Lord, I pray for those who, who may not have given their life to you, Lord. And if that's the case, Lord, help them to, to make that decision now. Holy Spirit, just bring that conviction, bring that joy. Just, just bring it to the place where, where there's
years of surrender, Lord. And for us who know the word in great ways, who have walked with you for a while, Lord, if there's areas, and I know there are areas in all of our lives where we're not putting faith into action, Lord, show us if you haven't already and allow us and strengthen us to put our faith into greater action, into, in, into greater um, use for your kingdom, Lord. So thank you, Lord, that you're calling us. I pray a blessing over each person now as you send us out into the world. Lord, let us not just say, hey, you know, church was good. I'll come back next week. Lord, let us walk in relationship with you. Let us be obedient to your voice, hearing your voice, voice that if you're telling us to go left, we go left, to the right, to the right, straight, straight, Lord. Let us be your mouthpiece. Let us live our, our lives in a way that just model you. And we just thank you, Lord, and we honor you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand.